Welcome back to the MSP Show. This is Stuart Crawford, and here we are another week has gone by. I hope everybody's having a successful week. Today we carry on our podcast uh, episodes with famous, well-known authors that have written some pretty good business books that I highly recommend. And you know, just like we had Marcus Sheridan a few weeks ago, Today we're joined by Joey Coleman, and Joey wrote a great book, and I'm going to have to tell you how I stumbled upon this book in a second. But Joey Coleman wrote a great book called Never Lose a Customer Again, and it is changing the way I look at how we do our customer service and what we're recommending to our clients. So Joey, welcome to the MSP show today. Hope things are well with you. Things are great. Thanks so much for having me, Stuart. I really appreciate being on the show. So, Joey, for the for the few people that don't know who you are, uh, give us a little bit of background about uh, you know how you got uh, your journey going and uh, how the book came together and what drove the you know you to write this book. Sure. So, my background is pretty eclectic. Uh, right now, I am a full time professional speaker. I spend about two and a half to three weeks out of every month traveling around the world, teaching companies how to keep their customers. Customer retention is often a dramatically overlooked aspect of business. And I do that via keynotes and workshops. And I've got an online course. I've got a number of ways that I help folks, in addition to the book you mentioned, to kind of learn a method that I've developed over the last 20 years, which I call the first 100 days. Basically, the principle behind the methodology is that the first 100 days of the customer relationship is the most important time period in the entire relationship. What a customer thinks and feels about you at the end of the first 100 days is more dispositive of the lifetime value of the customer than any other time period. And in addition, what we find is that the research shows somewhere between 20 and 80% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. So it's a huge problem a lot of businesses are facing that they don't actually realize. And what we've done is try to develop systems and processes to help folks address that so they can keep more of their customers, make more profit, have happier employees, and raise the bar on customer experience around the planet. Now, you asked about my background. As I mentioned, it's crazy eclectic. I'm a recovering criminal defense lawyer. I did business consulting for Fortune 500 companies. I taught at the postgraduate level. I worked for the Secret Service, the CIA, and the White House. It's been, I ran an ad agency for 15 years. So it's been a crazy, crazy path that has led me to where I am today. But I think the thing that connects all of those different jobs I've had or all of those different careers I've had is that in each of those, the way you succeeded was by having a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do people do the things they do and what can we do to make them do the things they want us to do, which is kind of the model of customer experience. And I think, Joey, I think it's very important that you mentioned that word customer experience. I think that's a dying art in today's society. You just, you just go to a local McDonald's or Walmart, or even when I land at Tampa or at um, Orlando Airport, which is my home base airport, and you walk, go down the escalator, and there's the young person. I won't even say, I won't even put them into one stereotype. There's a person sitting there at the customer service booth, too busy on their telephone talking to all their friends to worry about, you know, little old me asking which carousel JetBlue 574 is coming on. Yeah. Is are you are you seeing that customer, you know, customer service, customer experience is a dying breed and that's kind of what the drive, you know, that's why you say that first 100 days is the most critical part of any relationship? Well, to say that it's dying implies that it was once alive. So I'm not entirely sure whether it's dying or whether it's just continuing to not thrive. If you look at the bar for customer experience pretty much in every industry globally, it is lying on the ground. 
customers don't expect a high level of experience. And guess what? They don't receive a high level of experience in most of their business interactions. Now, there, there's a couple of reasons for that, which we can get into. There are reasons that relate to brain science and the human condition. There are reasons that relate to you know the way businesses are structured and operated. But the moral of the story is, I think for all too long, uh, businesses have been focused on customer service instead of customer experience. And while a lot of people use those two phrases interchangeably, I think they're very different. I define customer service as being a reactive behavior. What do we do when something goes wrong to make it right for the customer? It usually finds its origins in a problem or a crisis or a missed opportunity that then the company is kind of trying to backtrack and fix or resolve. Whereas customer experience is a more proactive behavior. It's what are all the touch points we have, all the interactions we have with our customers, all the little things we do when we associate with them. How do all of those combine to create an overall feeling for our brand or our offering? And to me, that overall feeling is the customer experience. And Joy, I shared with you, uh, I sent a picture last week to you about my, my, uh, my shock and awe box. I call it my wow box. Yes. And for me, that's like the first step in the customer experience. They're not even a customer yet. Now here I am sending my two, two of my latest books that I'm reading, a few other things, and we'll get into what to put in there because I like what you said in, in the book about uh, you know, a coffee mug and a pen is not necessarily a gift because right. it's marketing. Right. right. I like right. how you mentioned that. So, you know, I, so my box, as you saw a picture of, I have your book, uh, I had Marcus Sheridan's book in there and, uh, I had a t-shirt of our, you know, that I throw in there, but I always include things that are not my company brand and say, Hey, you know what? Here are two books that have changed the way I do business. I wanted to share them with you. Let's, let's talk about that because that's, you know, to me, that's, that's, you know, in your seven steps that you mentioned in the book, that's kind of the beginning of phase one. Yeah. So, the, you know, there's a series of phases that I believe a customer can go through as part of their customer journey. And, you know, the first phase is the assess phase, right? This is where a prospect's considering whether or not they want to do business with you. In common parlance, we refer to this as marketing and sales. And this is where most businesses spend the bulk of their time, effort, energy, and money right? They try to get as many people to be aware of who they are and convince as many people to buy their product or service. Problem I, as I see it is most businesses spend their time during the assess phase trying to convince the customer why they matter and trying to convince the customer as to the benefits or the features of the product or the service they're trying to sell them. What most businesses don't do is spend any time previewing the experience that this prospect is going to have should they decide to transition to becoming a customer. They don't spend as much time thinking about the emotional journey that the prospect is on as they're trying to decide who to work with and kind of countering those feelings. And so what I love about your wow box is that you're sending items that you know are going to provide value to them independent of whether or not they ever work with you, right? Marcus Sheridan's a good friend of mine. His book is fantastic. They ask, you answer. I'm flattered that you incl are including my book in the, in the boxes you send out, right? The goal is to say, look, I want to provide some value to you 
independent of whether or not you decide to work with me. Because if you do decide to work with me, this idea of providing value that goes beyond the scope of the contract that we have, it goes beyond the parameters of the specific things we're going to be working on. It sets a tone for what the relationship is going to be like going forward. And I'm, 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 I'm always shocked, Joy, that I find a lot of companies, either they don't put any effort in during this phase, you know, or if they do put some effort in, as soon as that line is signed, it kind of just falls apart, falls apart. We'll talk about that challenge from, you know, sales to account management, because I like how you mentioned it in the book too. But, you know, can you share some examples of companies that are doing well, you know, that, you know, case studies or, or just reference companies that you're aware of during the SS days that you kind of just stand out from the others? Well, I think there's there's a lot of them. In the book, I actually refer to a total of 46 specific case studies throughout the book of companies that are doing remarkable things in the first 100 days to kind of create the experiences that will keep their customers coming back for more. And again, a lot of that ties to that theory of what can you do to preview the relationship in a way that lets them know, hey, there's going to be good things to come because of the interactions I'm having. So one that comes to mind, and I talk about this in the book, there's a company called The Wealth Factory. And The Wealth Factory helps entrepreneurs keep their money. Entrepreneurs are really good at making money, not so good at keeping their money. And the way they introduce potential customers to their business is they invite the prospects to come to a three-day workshop. And during that workshop, they'll show you all sorts of things about you know, how to get your finances in order how to make sure your insurance coverages are what they need to be, uh, long-term strategic planning, et cetera. And I showed up for one of their, what is basically a sales event, right? A free workshop that you attend. And I was met at the door by the CEO, Garrett Gunderson, who handed me a six pack of root beer. Now, if you know me and know me well, there are really two things I drink, water and root beer. And Garrett had done his homework and I was impressed. And I told him as much. I said, you know, Garrett, this is a really nice gift. Thank you so much. You know, t tell me a little bit about this. And he said, well, you know, a, a little birdie told us that you liked root beer and we wanted to make sure you were well taken care of while you were at our event for the next three days. So here's a six pack and there's more where this came from. Uh, but, you know, this is your own private supply to make you feel at home. And I said, well, mission accomplished. I really do feel at home. This is great. He said, you know, we wanted to give you a preview of what the experience is going to be like working with us. Because we believe that when it comes to our clients, we need to know them as well as they know themselves. We need to know what makes them tick. We know, need to know about their hopes, their desires, their dreams for the future. Because if we know those things, we can help them to maximize their finances so they can take advantage of those things sooner rather than later. I said to him, great, Garrett, where's the paperwork to sign up? He said, excuse me. And I said, well, I know at the end of the three days, you're probably going to give me the opportunity to join. I want to join right now because you've already given me this preview. I'm all in. If this is how you show up at the beginning, I'm feeling pretty good about what this relationship is going to be like long term. And, that's, you know, and that was a great example, uh, Joey. I, I think that's, you know, I, I, laughed, I was laughing when I was listening to it on the audiobook thing. You know, this guy, you know, this is something simple as root beer. Yeah, Which probably. And let's say let's say it's, let's say it's a little higher end root beer. Maybe it cost him ten dollars for the six pack. If that, a client for life. if that, yeah, exactly. No, he, he, yeah, he got a client for life. And oh, by the way, their program is three thousand dollars a month for three years. So it's a hundred thousand dollar program that we're I, basically I'm doing astonished. for ten dollars. Yeah, I'm astonished at how many 
companies, uh, small to large, often, I, I'm going to use the word cheap out because it's the only word I can really think about here. The cheap out in this phase and sales are realized. And I, I can't remember when I heard the stat and I don't know how accurate it is today, but I heard that the average Cadillac dealer, like that average, average Cadillac customer spends about $450,000 lifetime with General Motors on their Cadillac buying over and over. So wouldn't it be advantageous to continue to invest in that relationship in this assess phase is a great step. But I'm always astonished how many companies decide to cheap out in this phase. Yeah, well, I'll take your phrase cheap out and I'll one-up you, Stuart. What astonishes is me, I could somewhat, I don't agree with it, but I could somewhat understand companies that really pay attention to their cost when they're in the prospect, the assess phase, right? When they're, when they're hoping this person might become a customer, but they're not sure. What is more staggering is how many people who, after the customer is signed on the dotted line, after they've given you their hard-earned money, they cheap out then. These are people who've already said they want to be in relationship. These are people that are already your customers. That's the thing that blows my mind, right? And I'm just like, wait a second, guys. Here's Here's the fascinating piece of this puzzle. You know, these are folks that have actually are already generating revenue for your company. And you're still scrimping when it comes to how much you're willing to invest in the relationship. And it doesn't have to be a dollars investment a thoughtfulness investment, a time investment. You know, I know you work with a lot of folks that do managed services IT, right? And that represents a, a large portion of, of your listeners. Here's 100%. the interesting, right? Here's an interesting thing about folks in managed services and IT. And you and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording. You know, for years, that industry has been famous for, hey, you pay us to take care of things. And the way we're going to make our business model work is we'll spend as little face time with you as possible. We'll try to set everything up remote so that you never see us, you never know that we're there. And on one hand, that provides a certain level of comfort to your customer, right? It it provides a little bit of, oh, somebody behind the scenes is taking care of this. The problem is that usually is associated with a shift in thought process from the managed services IT company of, we want to have as little communication with the actual customer as possible. We don't want to get any FaceTime with them. We want to try to avoid being on the phone with them. We just want to work remotely and let everything happen behind the scenes. And then we're surprised when even after a couple years of being a customer, they suddenly leave without giving us any notice or they quit using our services. Well, the reason they quit is because a relationship hasn't actually been established. It's been a series of transactions, not one big continuum of a relationship. And so I think the the opportunity here for every business is to say, what am I doing on a regular basis to double down into the relationship? What am I doing to provide value to my customer, not with an expectation that it leads into an upsell or not with the expectation of, let me pretend to hide value in something that everybody knows will turn into an upsell. So for example, one I notice in the IT industry all the time, and I get probably 78 emails a day. Hey, we'd like to offer you a free assessment of your website. Just set up a time to talk to us and we'll walk you through it. I'm like, you are actually trying to get me to do a sales call so that you can rebuild my website. Just say that. You're not, you're not surprising me. What would be more valuable is if they actually did the assessment of the website, typed up the report, sent me a report with a video of them walking through explaining their findings and what they think. Well, now you've got my attention. You've provided a little bit of a value in advance. 
I've never had anybody do that. I receive two or three emails a day from people asking to do an SEO audit or a website audit or whatever it may be. Send it to me for free. Let that be your lead gen. It's a lot more effective than sending me an email that says, hey, take time out of your day to schedule an appointment so I can pitch you on some services. That's not providing value. That's a sales call. And I 100% agree with you. And this, you know, that's just our industry and the way you know, other pundits have been you know, training these IT, MFT business owners is for them to you know, be remote. Don't go on. There's no need for you to go on site anymore. If everything's up and running, the client will see the value. And what I just heard from you, otherwise, Joey, that's the exact opposite. If they don't see you, you know, they're going to they're gonna have somebody who's going to pay some attention to them is eventually going to win that business. And, and if you're not there on site owning the relationship, somebody, I always say, somebody else is going to end up owning that relationship. Absolutely. If you don't prioritize your customers, someone else will. And if you doubt the validity of that statement, just think about how many of your current customers used to be working with someone else who didn't prioritize them. If you have any client that was ever with anyone else, it proves the point right? Let me ask this. A lot of people will say, and, and, and I'll take some of those pundits head on about that belief about, oh, well, if everything's just running smoothly, they'll love you and they'll think everything is great for a while to a True. degree. For a while. But here's the thing. Do you love your water company? The company really. that provides water in your house, but your water still really. works, right? Did it work yeah. this morning? Do you think it's going to work yeah. tomorrow? Did it work last month? Yeah. Here's the thing. When we don't interact with our customers, even if we are providing exactly what they paid for, we actually don't have loyalty. We actually don't have a relationship. We have a transaction that up to now has not failed. Therefore, we'll keep moving forward with it. But the minute it starts failing, all the wheels fall off immediately. Most people I know don't love their water company. Most people I know don't love their electric company. They don't love any of the utilities they work with. And yet the reality is those utilities have a 99 plus percent uptime. Why do we think it's mm -hmm. going to be different when we switch over to managed IT? It's not. You're still dealing with humans that have the same belief patterns. 100%, 100% agree. That's why I'm a big proponent of, you know, having educational summits and, you know, events and, you know, just stopping by with the, it's something as simple as a box of donuts sometimes is to say hi with no expectations because when they see your face and they see that you care, then they, then that relationship starts to build and mature. And, I, and so I, as much as I agree that 100 days is the critical part, I also think, Joey, the post 100 days is almost just as critical because oh, you, know, you mentioned two or three years down the road that something can go sideways and all of a sudden you lose a customer. Yeah, absolutely. And let, and let me be really clear, Stuart, because sometimes folks get confused in the messaging. And I'm not saying you did, but just so that none of your listeners uh, who may not have had a chance to read the book do. The first 100 days is where you need to focus, but that doesn't mean you're done at day 101. It just means you've laid a foundation and built up enough goodwill and deposits in the karmic bank account that if something goes wrong in the future, you'll be able to weather that storm more easily. The moral of the story is you need to be paying attention to the customer for the duration of the relationship, but I'm not going to tell you, hey, you need to pay attention all day, every day for the rest of the relationship at the beginning because that feels overwhelming. That sounds like too much work. But if I tell you, hey, I want you to just pay attention to the first 100 days, okay, well, anybody can sprint for three months. We can work to make the relationship really interesting in the beginning. And then we can hopefully continue to ride that wave without having to do as much on a day-to-day -day basis, but in a way that allows us to continue to deepen the relationship over time.
And I love your story in the book about you going to Pebble Beach and getting that golf ball. I have a similar type of story that I have a client in Baltimore who's a huge Raven fan. And every year, my son, who also is a big Raven fan, we make a father-son pilgrimage to Baltimore for him to do see a game. And lucky enough, my, uh, I don't know if I'll admit this in public, but my beloved Buffalo Bills are not doing so well this year. They play in Baltimore once every few years too. So we make sure. a big effort and try to make it to that game. But we have a customer, a client, I want to say customer, a client in, in uh, Baltimore. That's a huge Raven fan. And I went to, I think it was Ross or Marshall's, one of those stores. When I was walking through there, I saw a Ravens championship hat for the, when they won the Super Bowl. And it cost me, I hate to admit this in public, $3.99 to buy that hat for him. And I, yeah. and I, and I probably another, it probably cost me more to ship it to him than it cost him for me. To buy the hat. <laughs> right, right. But he got the hat, took a picture, put it on Facebook and thanked me publicly. It says, you know, I just went, wow, that is, that's the secret right there. Just doing something as, just seeing something and thinking about a client or a customer who can, uh, you know, who is a Raven fan or likes to go, wants to golf at Pebble Beach, like you mentioned in the book. Those little things, Joey, I think are what separates the really successful organizations from those who are, you know, somewhat successful or struggling. 100 percent, Stuart. Here's the thing: the reason that worked so well is because your intentions were pure. You saw the hat, you thought of your client, you sent it to him. You didn't send it with yeah, a sheet no, of paper no that said, let's spend more next year. You didn't have an expectation that they would promote it on Facebook and give you a shout out or anything like that. You just said, hey, I bet this person that I know who, and it's interesting, in, if, if we play back the how you told the story, you said, well, customer, well, actually, they're not really a customer, they're a client. I'd take it one step further. I'd be willing to posit this person has actually become a friend who happens to yeah, pay you yeah, for business work, right? So that's the thing. Yeah. We claim in our marketing materials, we being most businesses, that it's all about our family and who's part of our family and how we work together. And yet we treat our customers like strangers. You know, it's nice to do something thoughtful for someone we care about. It's nice to give them an unexpected gift or an unexpected shout out or an unexpected thank you. These are the little things that move the dial in the relationship. These are the things that actually change the experience that our customers are having and they change the experience we're having. Now, in order to make this happen, though, you need to have a keen understanding of who your customers actually are. This would not have been nearly as valuable if I was a client and you sent that hat to me. Why? Because I'm not really a pro football fan. Now, that's not a criticism of pro football. My favorite pro football team is the team that has the most players that went to Notre Dame. That's who I root for because I'm a college football Notre Dame fan. Okay? So, as a result, you have to know the things about your customers that are the personal little elements of their life if you want to make those level of connections. Now, the cool thing is we live in a day and age where thanks to social media, most of our customers are online sharing what matters to them all day, every day. They're doing posts about their favorite team, their family, where they go on vacation, what their hobbies are, what their beliefs are, to the articles they're linking to and the things they're posting. So we have all of this information, but the typical business is not using that information to supplement their CRM so that they can turn around and when they communicate with their customers, personalize those interactions in a way that lets the customer know that they actually matter at a depth greater than the transactional surface level relationship.
And I'll share with you a couple other examples, Joy, that these ones don't cost anything. For example, you know, we have clients all over Canada, uh, the U.S. and Australia, and, and into, uh, into the U.K. as well. And, you know, I live in Florida, although I'm up in Ottawa, Canada right now, freezing to death. <laughs> the, um, you know, but I live in Florida most, most days of the year, you know, it's 80 degrees or higher. But, you know, we, we have, we're prone to hurricanes where we are. But, you know, thank goodness this year our area of Florida didn't get hit in any. But we had clients up in the Tallahassee, Pensacola area, of course, clients up on, in North Carolina. We know what happened there this year. And, you know, a simple message, hey, guys, are you okay? You know, I heard, you know, I've seen uh, Raleigh got hit with the storm. Is everybody in your family okay? That has, that's a huge deposit to the emotional bank account in that relationship. And it's just something as simple as that can make, you know, make a big difference in a relationship sometimes as well. Absolutely. The, again, to reiterate, this doesn't have to be about money. This doesn't have to be about gifts and giving them presents. This is about thoughtfulness. This is about care. And here's the thing. When you sent that message to check in, it wasn't, oh, I better check in to see if I can, uh, you know, if that customer's still going to be a customer next quarter. It's no, I know these people. I know they're going through some stuff. I want to check in and just make sure they're okay. And people appreciate that. We live in an era where for some reason, we decided a couple decades ago that we wanted to separate the personal from the business. And we moved towards more of this B2B environment where, you know, well, things should just be more transactional. That's a conversation that's not meant for the workplace. You know, that that's about their personal life. I think as a result, human beings are dying for personal connection. There's a reason why social media has exploded in popularity. And I think part of the reason for that is it has allowed people to feel that they are connected to other human beings virtually, even if they might not actually be connected, if that makes sense. And so as a result, mm -hmm. what we're dying for those moments of personal interaction, we're dying for those moments of care and thoughtfulness and consideration. So if you can bring those type of interactions to your business relationships and to your conversations with your customers and or your prospects, it changes the dynamic very quickly. So true, so true. So Joe, we kind of got off off, uh, off on a tangent there. Let's come back to the, uh, the your seven your seven steps, your seven parts of your process. So we talked about the assess phase. The second one is the admit phase. And you know, I think we kind of skirted around the edges of that, but let's kind of bring it all together. Yeah, so with, with your permission, here's what I'll do, I'll do, Stuart. Let me go through each of the phases directly because we already talked about sure. the assess phase and you're right, there's seven more. So a total of eight phases. The first one's the assess phase we talked about. Phase two is admit. This is when the prospect acknowledges that they have a problem or a need and they believe you can help. They transition from being a prospect to a customer by signing on the dotted line of a contract or handing over their hard-earned cash and going all in as a customer. Almost immediately when that happens, they move to phase three, the affirm stage. This is when the customer begins to doubt the decision that they just made. This is buyer's remorse. Now, if I were to ask everybody listening, have you heard of the phrase buyer's remorse? Almost everyone would say yes. If I were to ask you, do you have a system and process in your business designed to address buyer's remorse? Almost everyone would say, no, we don't or not yet. All right. So what are we doing in that stage to counter the emotional doubt and fear and uncertainty that the new customer has so that we can shift things around in a way that allows them to 
feel differently about the decision and re-engage the positive feelings they had when they made the choice to work with us. And we then come to phase four, activate. Okay, this is the first major interaction we have with the customer. So if they bought a product online, it's when the product arrives and they unbox it. If it's a service type scenario, it may be the first time we start delivering the service or a kickoff meeting, if it's a longer consulting engagement, that type of thing. At the activate stage, you wanna energize the relationship as you formally start to work together. You wanna let the customer know based on the spectacle and the excitement you create at the beginning of the relationship that doing business with you is going to be unlike any other business experience they've had. You want to set the tone for what the experience is to come. Now, almost as when we're done with the activate phase, we move into the acclimate phase. And to be honest, this is phase five, acclimate, where most businesses start to fall apart. In the acclimate phase, this is where you need to help your customer get familiar with your way of doing business. See, in your business, you've had hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of customers. You know what comes next. You know how the process works. You know how to navigate them through the usage relationship with you. But to a new customer, they have no context for this. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea what's going on. And as a result, we need to hold their hand. We need to tell them what comes next. We need to re-explain at every moment where they are in the process, what's going to happen next to make sure they're getting the most value and use out of our product or service. Then we come to phase six, accomplish. This is when the customer achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. Anytime a prospect decides to buy your product or buy your service and they become a customer, they have a goal in their mind of what they're hoping to achieve. Whether it's solving a problem or fulfilling a need or creating some new opportunity, they have an idea of what they want. If we don't pay attention to that as the service provider or the product provider, we're never going to know whether they've achieved their goal, whether they've accomplished the thing they were trying to accomplish. And so as a result, we need to pay better attention to what they're actually trying to achieve and then track our progress against that so that when they do cross the finish line, we can remind them of how far they've come. Next, we go to phase seven, adopt. This is where the customer becomes loyal to you and your brand. They're 100% all in. They've decided that going forward, they will be an ongoing customer of yours. They will be loyal to you. They're not gonna price shop elsewhere. They are completely committed and they have adopted the relationship. And finally, last but not least, we come to phase eight, the holy grail of the customer experience journey, the advocate phase. Okay, this is when the customer becomes a raving fan, referring their friends and colleagues to you. Okay, this is what every business is trying to achieve, but few actually do because they haven't walked the customers through the necessary seven phases before this one, the eighth and final phase, or they've tried to rush people to the advocate stage too quickly. Yeah, that you know that all make that all make great sense, Joey. And I, I mean, I I'm a huge subscriber. You know, and actually, when I when I saw this laid out, I went, you know, I've been doing this all instinctively from day one of my business career. Just never had a, for, a chart or table or a formula that related to. But it, it, you know, for me, it simply just makes common sense. I just struggled, you know, and I don't know the reason. Maybe you know the reasoning why a lot of a lot of organizations kind of skip or I won't say maybe ignore is too harsh of a word, but just kind of skip over certain parts of this journey, or maybe they just don't know. 
And that's well, why, I th- I th- your, yeah, that's why I, your book's there. Yeah, well, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think most folks don't spend a lot of time thinking through all the steps of the customer journey. Number two, I think most people don't, uh, most organizations are not structured in a way to have this type of seamless transition. See, when businesses first start out and in the first few years of operation and or if they stay small in terms of the number of employees, it's easier to navigate a customer all the way through the journey. The problem is as most businesses grow, they add on new people, different departments become responsible for different aspects of the customer journey and things start to get siloed out a little bit. I grew up in the heartland, right? I grew up in Iowa and you drive around farms in Iowa and you see a lot of silos and they hold and help keep the different types of grains separate. Silos are an incredible invention on the farm. They are an absolute nightmare when they get applied to your business because the customer is doing business with you. They don't understand why the conversation they have with marketing should be different than the conversation they have with sales and should be different than the conversation they have with operations, right? And yet that's how most businesses are structured. So most businesses don't pay attention to the handoffs that occur across the customer journey nearly the way they should. And as a result, some of these phases fall through the cracks. So let's talk about that that handoff because I think we can. Uh, I think you may have some suggestions of how to make it smooth. And I, I know in the book you talk about Mark. You know the the sales happens and it gets handed off to account management, and the experience kind of switches. How can let's say IT managed service providers, Joey, that we're talking to today, how can they ensure a smooth transition? What what are some best practices that you found? Well, there are a couple of ways, and obviously it depends on the individual business and the way it's structured. But in generally speaking, the handoff between sales and operations looks a little something like this. There's a salesperson that has all the conversations with the prospect, trying to find out what they need, doing assessment of the scope of what they're trying to accomplish, figuring everything out, putting together a proposal, whining and dining them, and getting them to sign on the dotted line. When they sign on the dotted line and officially become a customer and start paying, then the customer gets introduced to the ops side of the house and the salesperson disappears. The salesperson goes out to find more sales and now the customer starts building a new relationship from scratch with the operations people. Now the problem is in most businesses, not only is this handoff jarring in terms of the people involved, they're now their main point of contact is someone they've never met before and they have to reestablish a relationship with, or in this case, establish a relationship with, but there isn't strong confidence in the customer that the information that was shared during the sales process has been translated over to the post-sales operations. And what often happens is one of the first conversations with operations is something along the lines of, great, so I know you're gonna need some help with IT services. Uh, What exactly are you looking for? Where do you wanna start first? What do we wanna do? And the client feels like they need to go explain themselves all over again. That's not a recipe for success. Yes, I've already shared that with your sales guy. Why don't you know about that? That's what I always hear. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, okay, wait a second. That's not the customer's fault. That's the organization's fault that the organization doesn't have a system and process to make handoffs smooth. Now, when I worked in sales, I'll be honest, I didn't like filling out all the details of the relationship I knew into the CRM, but I knew how vital it was for the operations people to be able to do that. So number one, we gotta make sure the salespeople are given all the information over. Number two, another best practice I see is introducing the customer 
to the ops people before they sign on the dotted line. Sometimes that shows up as the operations person attending sales meetings. Sometimes it's simple as a series of little introductory videos introducing the customer to the people on the team who will be working with them that become part of the proposal process. But you don't want the first time that the customer has heard about the operations people by name or gotten to meet or introduce them to be after the contract is signed. That just exacerbates this handoff problem. I agree. I agree. So, enjoy. I don't know. In my uh, on my website, I have a download for a 17-step sales process that I've uh, developed, and I I borrowed a little bit from a group called Tag and a few other organizations I've belonged to over the years. But in my sales process, I think it's point uh, step 12 or 13. It's been a while since I've read. I got to go back and check it all out. But I talk about the sales group and the operations group coming together to build the solution, and then together presenting that to the client. So. It's not the sales guy, the sales and operations are doing a, a four-legged or six-legged sales call. And also, the op, but my, what I see in my experience in the IT world was when I was doing sales, I would solution everything, and the first time the, the people who are actually going to do the work implementing would see it after the, the client signed the contract. And they said, well, I wouldn't recommend that server or those PCs. Or a, not when I woke up and said, okay, these guys have got to be part of the process when we're putting everything together. Then they also got to be there when presenting, because in the IT world, Joy, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is that when the sales guy is talking, the first thing the client does afterwards is go to the tech guy and say, okay, tell me what we really need. Exactly. So on the same wavelength, it, it's perfect. Exactly. So great. We got, the, we, we got that handoff kind of figured out. You know, where else have you seen, you know, client relationships kind of going, things that they can, pre- you know, can prevent a client relationship from going sideways, you know, maybe within the first 100 days or after the first 100 days? Oh, well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, sir, there, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things you can do. I mean, even just the mental shift in starting to pay more attention to your customers after the sale has a huge dramatic impact. In the book, I talk about there are six t- key tools you can use to communicate with your customers. In-person interactions, emails, physical mail, phone calls, videos, and gifts and presents. Now, the typical business is currently using two, maybe three of those tools with any regularity. And so I think even just increasing the types of tools we use to communicate and using the best tool for the communication that needs to be had at the right time can dramatically shift the overall customer experience. For example, if you've got to deliver bad news to a client, pick up the damn phone. Don't send them an email. Don't send them a text. Call them. Show that you care. Say, hey, by the way, here's a problem. Here's the situation. We're going to try to work through it. I didn't want you to read this in an email, you know, unexpected. I wanted to have a call with you and outline what the problem is, why it happened, and what we're doing. I think lots of times we use the tool of least expense or least effort, which is usually email, and we default to that tool, even though it's not the effective way to do it. You know, when I give speeches, one of the things I ask the audience often is I'll say, raise your hand, and we'll do this right now for everybody listening. Raise your hand while you're listening if you wish you were receiving more emails. (laughs) Now, I guarantee no hands went up. No hands went up. And yet, this is the primary tool we use to communicate with our customers. And yet we don't want to get more emails. So why do we think they want to get more emails? 
I'm not saying email is bad. I'm not saying don't send emails. What I am saying is stop defaulting to every communication should be done by email. Because what it does is it just contributes to the noise. It doesn't contribute to any depth of relationship. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's a lesson that we all can be you know, reminded of on a, on a regular basis. Actually, I'm not, I don't know if you saw my video today, uh, Joy, that I put on LinkedIn from when I, rec- I recorded it in the Denver airport of, you know, and I, I titled it, Email Makes Us Lazy. And it is exactly that. It's the, it's the quick and easy default. And even from a marketing standpoint, we often turn to it because it is so inexpensive to run email. But again, when I ask my clients, okay, well, what do, you, do you want to receive more email? Then why are we going to email marketing? If, if you don't want some, do you think the people on the other end want more? You know, it, I'm not sitting there going, I want more email. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the, uh, one of these jokes you'll buy email. <laughs> but uh, you met back in the day when AOL came out, you know, they, you got mail. Everybody used to rush to get their email, you know, 50 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And now, now today, I can't wait for the U.S. Postal Service to come to my house and see what's in my mail. Exactly. You know, paper mail. Exactly. Here's the crazy thing. And you bring up an excellent point, Stuart. I remember when email first came on the scene. Okay. In the early nineties, I got my first email address when I went to college and it was really exciting. Now, when I get to my office, if I'm on a call or recording a podcast like this or giving a speech and I come back, I'm hoping that there aren't a lot of emails because I feel like I'm never catching up. And you're right, it used to be when I first started in business, I'd go to the mailbox and there might be 20, 30, 40 pieces of direct mail. Sales sheets, catalogs, flyers, postcards, letters, all kinds of communications from folks, pre-email. Now you go to the mailbox and I'll be gone for a week and there may only be two pieces of mail and they're both invoices, right? Mm -hmm. Neither of which I'm super excited to receive. So here's the thing, there's, the mailbox, the snail mail mailbox, is the OG, the original inbox, okay? There's a huge opportunity to, make, to get your customer's attention by communicating via that inbox than by communicating via the email inbox. And that's why I send out the box. Joey, come back to where we talked about 45 minutes ago. That wow box, you know, they, that arrives two or three days after we've had a phone call conversation, and the first uh, impression is, wow. And that's, you know, that's why I call it a wow box, right? Yep, makes um, perfect sense. You know, and, and if you can send birthday cards, Christmas cards, Thanksgiving cards, Hanukkah cards, whatever you like, to your clients and to your, uh, and to your prospects by the mail, I bet you it's going to get open because they don't get too much, like you said, they don't get too much snail mail. They're the original inbox, right? The OG box. Exactly. I love that terminology. I, I, may, I may swipe that off you if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. It's great because, uh, you know what, it's, you know, it's, I think we could sum up some of our whole conversation about never losing a customer again by simply thinking, do what other people aren't doing. I think that's the, I think that's the important, and, and go that extra mile because, and pardon the cliche because we've probably heard it a million times, there is no traffic jams on that extra mile. Correct. So true. So true. So, Joey, to wrap, to wrap up all of our time together we had today, what are the top three points that you can share with our audience? So if they at least pull these three points out of it, you know, they've, they've gotten something out of their 45-minute to an hour investment of time today. Sure. Well, a couple things. Number one, I would say make sure you're focusing on the first 100 days of the relationship. Pay attention to those early days. When you're really excited about the new client, recognize that the client might not be as excited about the relationship with you. Yes, they've signed on, but they're in a state of fear and uncertainty and doubt. 
They don't know if this is going to work out as well as the salesperson claimed. They don't know if it's going to be easier or harder. They don't know if you're really going to stay on schedule or not. So remember to, to pay attention to that time period and hold their hands as much as possible so that you can help them navigate through the journey. Number two, if you're going to have handoffs in your company, which there's no problem with having handoffs between team members, make sure that they don't drop the baton. In the world of track and field, if you drop the baton, you're disqualified from the race. We should approach our businesses the same way. We should make sure that the handoffs are smooth and efficient and effective. You need to get the people who are going to be involved in the project later to be part of the conversation earlier so the customer doesn't feel a surprise. They understand that they're getting to work with the best folks across your entire organization and they feel well taken care of and supported at every turn of the, of the way. The last thing is, we'll go back to your wow box, if you're going to give gifts, Recognize that giving the customer something with your logo on it is not a gift or a present. It's a marketing tool. They're not going to receive it as a gift or a present, and you shouldn't dilute yourself into thinking it's a gift or a present. If you really want to give a gift or present to your customers, give them something that shows you care about them individually. Take the extra time to find something that thoughtfully represents them. For example, the Ravens hat. Even though as a Bills fan, you're probably not super excited to give it to them. The fact that you, the fact, right? The fact that you will shows that you care more about them than about yourself. And so that's the secret here to make sure that we're doing the kind of things that will actually leave our customers feeling well taken care of and provided for instead of constantly feeling like they're being upsold to. Perfect points, uh, Joy. Perfect points. And uh, again, the book is called uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. JoeyColeman.com is your website. Joy, any other, you know, any other takeaways that people can, uh, about, you know, contact information that you can share if somebody wanted to reach out and, uh, you know, maybe book, join, you know, get some more information about your programs that you run? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, the best place to find information about me or about any of the things I teach on or help folks with is on my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old, you know, uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. If you enjoyed our conversation and want to check out the book, that'd be great. It's called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available in hardcover. It's available in ebook. There's also an audio book, which I always mention when I'm on podcasts, because if you've enjoyed listening to me talk, you can listen to me read the book to you. And so there's a whole audio book option there. And I just wish folks the very best with creating remarkable experiences for their customers in the first 100 days and beyond. Joy, fantastic. And for the people who have listened this far through the whole recording and then exit out of the recording now, if you want to get a copy of Joey's book, just send me a text message to 716-263-6961 and I will send you a personal copy of uh, Joey's book through the mail. And But again, you have to... It has to last this long, Joey, to get that free offer from me. There you go. Look at that. See, there are benefits, folks, for the people that stay around. There are benefits for listening to the end of the podcast. That's a great gift, Stuart. Thanks so much. Exactly, Joey. Thanks again for doing this. I look forward to maybe uh, crossing paths with you um, you through uh, different organizations that we both could become uh, 
uh, participants in. I look forward to uh, taking that next journey and getting to know you a bit more. And again, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate you taking an hour into your day to come and talk to us. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show, and thanks, folks, for listening. And folks, uh, you know, coming up in our uh, next few podcasts, we have a panel uh, coming up with uh, Mike McWilliams from the Liable IT Healthcare out of Denver, John Gamble of IT4DD.com in Ohio, and Chris Michaelek from Parkway Tech in Winston-Salem. We're going to come and talk about going vertical in your MSP practice. And also coming up in a few weeks, we have, I think Matt Sullivan is going to join us from ID Agent. We're going to talk about the dark web scanning and all that good technical stuff. Joy, thanks again, and we'll see you, everybody, in a couple more weeks down the road.